0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good night, depending on wherever you are in the world. Welcome to um, episode 5 of our little podcast, Two Deaths from Down Under. Uh, My name is Kai Koenig, and with me this morning, it's actually Easter Saturday, is uh, Mark Mandel. Hello, Mark.
1: Hello, Kai. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing well. How are you?
1: I'm good. Uh, You managed to remind me that we had a podcast today, which I'd actually forgotten, which was very remiss of me.
0: (laughs) Yes, I was actually basically being abandoned for 20-something minutes until Mark uh, responded to my tweet and my text.
1: Yeah, I didn't see your tweet. It hasn't come through on my phone, actually.
0: Yeah, you're on Vodafone, right?
1: Yeah, yeah but I'm on that... the wireless network here at home, so it should be fine.
0: Okay. So, what are we doing today? What are we talking about today?
1: What are we talking about today? Um, well, I can explain why I'm so late. I'm a little addicted to this game I'm playing at the moment.
0: <laughs> so, which game would that be?
1: <laughs> which game would that be? It's um, it's actually really cool. I actually really like it. I think it's a really clever idea. It's a game called Spiral Knights. Okay. Um, one thing I like. There's a lot of things I like about it because I think it's they've actually done a really clever job with it. It's sort of if everyone, anyone's played like Diablo-style games, where it's sort of this top-down, you go around shooting things or hacking them with your swords and stuff like that. So that's fun. And it's an online uh, MMO, but it's, it's, it's kind of simple, which I quite like because I generally don't have a lot of time to play games. And it's a Java based client. So it's actually, um, you can run it on anything. So I can run it on Linux. I can run it on anything. Oh, okay. And basically, what's also cool about it is you don't have to worry about guilds and all that sort of shenanigans. You basically go, I'm going down this, it's basically a portal, you go down this portal and it randomly puts you together with like three or four people. Or you can set up parties and stuff if you can be bothered. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's lots of fun and it's free to play and then you can pay for sort of extra energy which allows you to play more or extra benefits if you want to do that. But you don't really need to. I think I threw 20 bucks at it or something if I just codes to make my life a little bit easier. Um, but yeah, I'm a little bit addicted to it. If anyone is looking for me, you can find me. I think I'm on there as neurotic. Um, so you can friend people and make groups and go questing together and that sort of fun stuff. And yeah, it's... It's fun and addictive and. Privileged. I
0: think I need to have Pick a look into that because I, <laughs> used, I, I used to play Diablo and Diablo two a lot. Basically, yeah. when it was you know the, the common thing to do, um, yeah, that sounds interesting.
1: And it's it's like it's a simple it's just a simple structure too. Like there's no leveling and stuff like that. You basically buy gear and then you know you upgrade your gear and then so okay. you can always go a different way with your gear if you don't want to be part of it. like. there's no classes. It's just very simple and easy. And I just kind of like the business model in that they give you what's called a hundred energy every every 24 hours and actually increments about every hour
0: that's interesting it seems to be a very common business model or you know or model for for gaming nowadays to give you a game for free and then charge you for those little add-ons
1: Yeah, so if you want to pay more, play more than like, it's like 10 energy per level, you know, and energy goes towards certain things. But if you want to go, you know, grab some more energy so you can play more, then you pay, you know, I paid 20 bucks for like 7,000 energy or something stupid. So they're they're very much looking at that sort of micropayment thing where it's, you know, not a huge amount of money and you get a whole bunch. And so it's like, okay, fair enough, that's easy. And so if they get a lot of people doing it, then they make lots of money. So, yeah, I'm a little addicted.
0: So, the good thing is, actually, my wife just went off to Craft um, 2.0, which is like a crafty type of event in Wellington, and yep. so when we are finished with this recording, I know that she won't be back by another hour, probably, so, <laughs> so I, know, I probably I know what well, I'm going to do with that hour. <laughs>
1: <coughs> so, I should be finishing my CF Objective presentation, but if you tell me that you know, you're going to be on there and what your handle is and we'll become friends, then maybe we can play together.
0: Yeah, we should have a look into that. <laughs> Cool, interesting. So, what else what happened if- today? Should we have a look at the calendar? The
1: oh yes, of tr- course, the calendar. We the can't
0: traditional thing. So, I've got one good one. Um, today is the birthday of uh, Michael Moore, the, oh, the famous American liberal or left wing filmmaker.
1: Yes, that is true. I, I'm actually quite. I like the uh, today is the first Order of Knighthood. The Order of the Garter is founded in 1348. It's the 663rd anniversary.
0: Nice. Nice find, actually.
1: I like that one. And it's also the birth of William Shakespeare. We're going back in old times. 427th anniversary of that.
0: Yep. And Max Planck, the yes. famous physicist.
1: From the Planck constant, quantum yep. mechanics. Um, and, of course, Roy Orbison, 75th anniversary, 75 today. Hmm. Okay. So all sorts of good stuff going on this this particular day.
0: Yeah, there are a few funny other ones. Like I found um, one... The birthday of Michael Kerr, a New Zealand-born German rugby player, and you know, so far I it's never, like the reverse. Yeah, I never thought that there is any you know noticeable German rugby stuff going on in the first place. Like, wow, interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know any. I've got a whole bunch of stuff here, and I don't know any of it. So, the United Methodist Church is formed 43 years ago.
0: Okay, interesting. There we go. That fits nice into the Easter Passover thingy as well.
1: That is true. It is the middle of Passover at the moment. Lots of fun.
0: Cool. Okay, so
1: you just got back from WebDU. I did, actually. About that.
0: It was a great conference, as usual, really. Um, I went over to Sydney on basically day zero, the Wednesday morning, um, and just spent the first day we've been over there finishing my session, as you usually do, and um, walking around in Sydney a little bit and doing a few things yep and then Wednesday night started basically with having drinks in the in the pub next to the hotel with a whole bunch yep. of people from all over the place, uh mostly speakers or folks who were involved with the conference yep and then um yeah, then the conference started Thursday morning.
1: Now let me so, let me ask you, as since the content of the conference is a little bit different than it has been in the past, did you find the people that you ran into quite different? Or with the same crew or
0: it, is, you- it has changed a little bit. But that was to be expected. I mean, I think yeah. um, a few fo- a few of the hardcore Adobe community folks yep. were not there this year. And that is fair enough because the topic uh, the, the the I mean, there was still confusion and, and flash and flex content and a lot of content related to the Creative Suite in particular. But obviously, if you're just into Adobe tech and nothing else, then you know you might actually find that there are too many other things, like JavaScript and Agile and building stuff yep. for mobiles, that might not interest you that much. So I was missing a few of those people, basically, who you, who you would have seen at previous WebDUs. Yep. But... That being said, the conference was not, you know, empty or it was, it was no, not, I didn't not think boring so. or something like that. It was really, really interesting. And I think the way Jeff is going with, with WebDU attracts a different crowd. It attracted a crowd of, you know, agile folks, of folks who build web applications totally independent of Adobe technology, for example. You know, they just yep. they might, might just write JavaScript in whatever, you know, TextPad or something like that, in some text editor, you know. It's like you don't have to necessarily use Adobe tools to build cool web applications, obviously. Mm. So f- from that point of view, you know, a, a lot of interesting people were there, um, and I saw a lot of interesting sessions on stuff that I not normally wouldn't deal with. Yeah. Or, you know, well, well which I would use occasionally or which I'm loosely connected to. But it was really a good way to you know learn a few new things and have a look at a few new things, basically what out, some, out of your comfort zone.
1: Fair enough. What were some standout presentations that you saw?
0: Um, I can just go through the through the list of the sessions and can quickly talk about what I went to. Um, okay. I mean, as usual, I ended up not going to every a session in every slot because quite often you run into someone and then you go you know yep. have a coffee with a person you haven't seen for the whole year and. So, you know, I usually maybe end up going to half of the sessions I could go to. But so what I found really good was, for example, on day one, a session on Raphael 2, um, presented by Dimitri Baranovsky. What's that? Raphael is basically a JavaScript framework to draw icons and images in huh. vector, SVG or canvas or whatever. And there is Raphael 1. And that has gained quite good reputation for what it's doing, and he's released um, a new, or he's he's actually going to release a new version, Raphael two, which is basically a rewrite of the whole framework. Mm -hmm. And he showed a few things on that, and along the way, basically he also wrote a, a proper event handling framework for JavaScript and a documentation framework for JavaScript because. Um, basically, Dimitri said in the, his talk that he didn't like the stuff that was around and couldn't really use it for what he wanted it to. So he just wrote yep. his own. Right. And I mean, just the, the documentation framework that he wrote looks super, super interesting. Okay. Um, I, I can probably put the link to it in um, in the blog post for this recording and then people can have a look at it. Okay. Um, yeah, then I skipped a session or two, I think. And in the afternoon, I had my own talk. Um, about mobile platforms and you know what to choose to build I know, a mobile website or a mobile application and some sort of a reality check what the world out there really looks like. Because, yep. I mean, a lot of people get into that. We want to build for mobile and we are doing iPhone or we are doing Android because we hate iPhone. Or vice if, versa. Or we do Windows Mobile because we hate anything else. And that's just the wrong way of looking at it from my point of view. You know, there's fairness. way too much religious warfare going on there from all the fanboys of the v- various groups basically. And um, really, at the end of the day, if you want to build something for mobiles, you need to have a look at what's the best option for you to achieve as much co- coverage as possible Yeah, you know it's, it shouldn't be something like oh i'm just building for apple because i like apple it should really be how can i build stuff that maybe whatever 80 percent of the smartphone users can see and can use and not just 20 percent and it's quite interesting i mean there are a few really interesting things happening in that market from my point of view um, so are
1: you, are you pushing, like, say, more of an online site, like a mobile site perspective, or more of a cross-platform application development, or, or see, somewhere I'm, in between? or?
0: That's the thing. It, it, my answer would be it always depends. You can't really say, yeah. I'm pushing for anything. I try to make that clear in my talk. It's, from my point of view, really, it comes down to what you want to do, what your content or your site you want to, you know, make available for mobile devices. Really is, you yeah. know, is it a website or is it some sort of a complex app? And then you might want to rather build an app for mobile devices as well instead of building a mobile website. So you know, it's hard to say in general you have to do this or that. Um, but what it comes down to really is the the cross-platform development options we have. You know, let it be Flash on mobiles or Air. Depending on you know how you want to mm-hmm. deliver it, or using something like t- Titanium App accelerator or using um, something like PhoneGap, they are all really interesting and they you know they come to to a point where for a lot of possible applications they provide a good solution from my point of view. Yep, I'm not saying you know there is no case for building native apps on iOS or on Android or on Windows phone, there definitely are cases where you want, where you might want to build a, a native app and then you convert it to another platform with different development teams or whatever. But those cases become um, r- rarer in numbers from my point of view the further down we go because, it, because there's a lot of stuff you can do with web technologies nowadays. Yep. And one of the interesting things that happens in that whole marketplace from my point of view is um, you wouldn't believe it. It's Windows Phone 7. Oh, really? I'm, yeah. I'm not, to be fair, I'm not a big fan of Windows on phones. I never was. Even though I used to own a whole bunch of pocket PCs, you know, back in the day, like <laughs> the HP. anyway. tiny ones. Yeah. yeah. HP Johnada or compact iPack and all that stuff, really. Because it was sort of a nice way to, you know, like the PDA age, basically, about 10, yeah. year, 10 years back. Um but the reality is really, um Windows Phone was sort of halfway dead, I thought, on arrival until they signed up with that deal the, the deal with nokia yeah
1: um
0: and i mean nokia just... Nokia is another case, right Nokia is some yeah. sort of dead on arrival at the moment in the smartphone yep. world, totally but, you know you can't write them off really because when you look at the the global numbers. Oh, the market you'll, share is ridiculous. You'll find yeah. that they provide about forty to forty something, depending on who measures it, percent of all mobile phones. Still, it's huge. The amount of phones yeah. Nokia has is huge. And again, when you're looking outside of you know my geek friends in our techie circle, you'll find that a lot of people have normal Nokia phones, and they might even have some smartphone characteristics in some way that they have a little web browser, um, but. Nokia has sort of missed the train with the real touchscreen smartphones.
1: Oh, totally, yeah.
0: you know, Windows, for for both players, basically, for Microsoft with Windows Phone 7 and for Nokia, is some sort of a... I'd like to call it a last chance to get it right. So they have all incentive to, you know, get their gear together and deliver some really interesting collaboration. And um, that might lead to... Some changes in that marketplace, I would, I, I could see. Yeah,
1: I'm just actually looking up their earnings and stuff. I mean, they're they're a huge company. They're earning what revenues forty two and a half billion a year.
0: It's massive. Yeah, they,
1: they have over a hundred thousand employees. Like that's just crazy. So, I mean, it's not like it's not like they're down and out. It's it's there's a huge market there for people who aren't looking for smartphones. You know, so but yeah, their market share is just ridiculous.
0: Yeah. And the interesting thing is the guy who um, is now the CEO of Nokia, Stephen Elop. He used mm. to be a Microsoft guy before, and before that, he was um, CEO of MacroMedia.
1: Okay, so he's got he's got fingers in a few pies, if necessary. Yeah, and
0: he's he's actually realistic. He's the only or the first not non-Finnish CEO of Nokia. So you know, it's like know. Nokia has realized that they got into trouble and they need to do something really fast to get out of that. And yep. a lot of it will come down to actually Stephen Elop being able to turn that ship or that tanker rather around yeah. quick enough and get enough people within Nokia behind him to, you know, go out there and promote their platform because their hardware is really good, to be fair. You know, I used to have Nokia phones all the time before I yeah, bought same. my first iPhone. And um, they always just worked, you know, they are robust. They, I never had a Nokia phone failing on me, to be honest.
1: Ooh, I'm trying to think yeah i had i had one of the i think it was the n ninety fives and the g p s never worked in that okay. but otherwise other than that other than that i can't complain
0: so yeah yeah i mean they are not totally out of the game yet, and I could definitely no. see some stuff changing this year no, actually
1: it. if anyone was going to bring Windows seven into the mobile space, i reckon Nokia' is probably the one to do it just because they've got they've got that market share they've got that um brand credibility yeah so yeah, it's gonna really be interesting that.
0: Yeah, and the thing is, I mean, looking at the at Windows seven or Windows Phone seven as an operating system, from a neutral point of view, totally besides my, you know, slight dislike of the whole Windows stack, actually I think it's not a bad operating system. I think Um Microsoft have made a few decisions to get it I don't want to say get it right, but get it more right than all the other efforts. What do you know? So what
1: browser they're using? Um, Is it a, it's, don't tell me it's a stripped-down version of IE because that um, scares the hell out of me. I'm but
0: pretty sure it's going to be some IE light thing. Yeah, that's I mean. what I thought. So it would be nice if it was WebKit, you know, as all the other mobile or major yeah. mobile platforms would use, because that would make it actually much much easier
1: for yeah, exactly. people to
0: build stuff on the WebKit platform for mobiles, and you know, mm. have something cross-platform again.
1: I agree. I agree completely. But knowing Microsoft, that's probably not going to (laughs) happen.
0: Yeah, maybe not. So, yeah, that was, um, you know, my my own talk, basically. Um, Thursday night, um, we had a range of BOF sessions, um, Birds of a Feather, and I co-hosted one on rich internet apps on the Adobe stack. Um, Basically, it it turned out not to be a BOF as such. So we ended up being like 20-odd people. Um, and it was supposed to be a panel discussion, but unfortunately what happened is that, um, one of the panelists, uh, which was supposed to be Terry, uh, Terry Ryan from Adobe. Yeah. Didn't make it to web to you. Um, and neither did Greg Ruiz because their plane got stuck in LA or San Francisco. I don't know. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. 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 Uh, Really annoying. And then, you know, I mean, as a side note, Jeff had to rearrange the whole keynote thing and, uh, it was, you know. So, anyway, so we basically ended up not really having a proper panel, um, but arranged about 20, uh, 20 chairs in a circle and just have, had a good chat about, you know, different people's op- opinions on Flash Platform, on building for mobile, on the future of that whole thing. And it was, you know, real interesting because uh, WebDU supplied, supplied drinks for the BOF sessions. So, you know, we had a beer and a wine and, you know, just had a good chat. Sounds good. Cool, and on Friday I actually went to way more sessions. Um, I went to one that was really interesting: Photoshop for Developers, um, and Mike McHugh from Adobe in Australia was was presenting that. And I I actually have to say I learned quite a lot from that. You know, like those little things in Photoshop. I'm just apparently where my brain is not able to 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 get why you have to do it in that way. So I always basically use, for example, fireworks, you know, and then um, my, my wife comes home and says like, oh, you could have done that in Photoshop in 10 seconds. I said, yeah, it took me about hundred minutes, you know, to <laughs> achieve exactly the same thing. It's like, uh, so that was a really good session for me to catch up with Photoshop and how to do a few common things in a much, much easier way than I was doing them, actually. Fair After enough. that, I went to um, 10, ways, uh, 10 ways to fail with Agile. And that was um, presented by Sandy, Sandy uh, yep. Mamoli from Wellington. She's an agile coach, and it was a really cool session, actually, because she she built the whole session agenda in, a, in an agile way, right, with iterations. So basically, um, the 10 ways to fail with agile became four ways to fail with agile, because <laughs> that's all what fit into, you know, the first time box for the first iteration, really. <laughs> Which is quite cool because she could come back to WebDU next year and say like, oh, you know, we're doing the next iteration of 10 ways to fail with Agile and it covers, you know, ways five to seven or something like that. So that's yep. quite, quite interesting. And it was, you know, that's really, really well presented actually. And she pinpointed um, typical ways how people get Agile wrong and end up in weird scenarios, basically. And in the afternoon, I went to um, um, a very interesting session on a javascript framework called backbone gs
1: okay
0: um i don't know do you know lachlan hardy no he's um a quite well javascript guy a quite well-known javascript guy in um based in sydney and he works he used to work for atlassian and he works now for a company called ninefold which is a cloud hosting or cloud offering company in based in australia and um his session was titled "Give Your JavaScript App Some Spine with Backbone.js," and Backbone is basically a—it's a framework that allows you to build a, a web app in JavaScript completely from scratch. Okay, and that itself is quite cool. But what I can see it being applied even more for myself is it provides a proper model-view-controller architecture for your JavaScript code.
1: Seeing a few bits like that show up in a couple of places actually.
0: Because what I find when I I do a lot of jQuery recently for yep. for one of my clients. And what I find is the jQuery code reproduce um lacks in structure. Yep. And that is just like, you know, partially the way how jQuery seems to work, that you you know you have your DOM element, it's just easy, yeah, y- yeah, you know you you tie a click event to it and you do something, and you know we've broken it down quite nicely. So I started to introduce custom events that are basically you know broadcast an event and then something else oh, nice. listens for that event, and and you can do all that stuff, but most people don't really, yeah. And what Backbone JS seems to do, it it seems to possibly allow me to build a proper model view controller micro architecture in the j in the in the javascript code and then in that architecture make use of the jQuery stuff i'm doing anyway so that was really inspiring actually to you know to have a look at that and i'm going to to try to put put a bit of work into that and to make the javascript code we are writing um, just a bit more user-friendly There's you know, actually a
1: no, sorry, I was going to interrupt you, but I was going to say, there's actually a talk I'm going to at CF Objective in a few weeks. And I'm just going to pull it up so that I can remember exactly what I'm talking about. Um, that looks at unit testing JavaScript yeah, and how to set that up. Uh, I believe it's Elliot Sprint, actually, who is speaking.
0: Yeah, there are a few things you can do with um, regards to testing we and yeah. debugging in JavaScript. But it seems to be still quite hard compared to, you know... Using whatever MX unit, rocket unit, flex unit on the back end, basically.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. If you if you haven't got that sort of modular architecture, especially if you haven't got that, even that sort of model view controller or anything like that, it's very hard to set that thing up. That sort of stuff up. Um, I've never actually done test driven development using JavaScript because normally, if I'm doing test stuff, it's normally Selenium for UI testing and stuff like that. But it would be very cool to be able to actually, you know write your JavaScript as well in that sort of very modular style and be able to go, okay, now I've got my Coffee component unit tests. I've got my JavaScript component unit tests. So I expect that they'll do exactly what I think they'll do. Exactly. And then, you know, yeah. your Selenium tests just become cream on top to be able to go, okay, yep, yeah, this is actually working, you know, the way I expect my HTML elements to work, you know, becomes that sort of stuff. That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, that was my web you basically. And, you know, Thursday night, we had drinks at the Kent Street living room, which is some sort of a club bar type of thing, and um, Friday night we went to dinner with a few guys, among them John Koch from um, Adobe in the US, yep. who's the basically the community manager for Asia Pacific, yep. and he bit, did some sort of a bit of a you know Southern Hemisphere tour. He went from the US to Brazil and Argentina, attended flash camps there that people were running. Yep. And he's run, He's responsible for the flash camp program. So that's basically part of his job. And then he came over from Brazil on and arrived in Sydney Friday morning, we attended WebDU for a day. We had dinner. And then Saturday we had the Adobe um, Pacific Community Leader Summit in, yep. um, in the hotel. That was quite interesting as well. Um, obviously, I can't really talk about much because most of it was in the aid. But it was yep. a really, you know, nice way to catch up with a lot of people, basically. Cool. And then Saturday night was the famous uh, Jeff Bowers uh, speakers VIP party oh, thing fun. in the awesome. u- in the usual location, which I can't yep. disclose publicly, obviously. You, you <laughs> either know it or you don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh but, gee, that's a lot of cool kids, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> totally. But it was so fun, actually, and. It was a very, very late night for me, personally. I think we went yeah, back sure. to the hotel at like 3.30 a.m. or something like that. Oh, boy. <laughs> it
1: always ends up being late, but that's yep. always a good time. I always enjoy that.
0: So, yeah, it well, was a great web to You You know, I'm really looking forward to the next one already. Cool. Yep.
1: That'll be interesting to see what's, uh, what's going on with that and how it continues on. So that'll be, that'll be good fun. Sounds like a good time all around. Yeah,
0: and the next one will be the 10th WebDU. So wow. It will be my 10th time presenting at WebDU hopefully huh. cool stuff Yeah.
1: very cool stuff
0: Robin Hilliard claims to be the other person who has presented at every every single WebDU and I'm not 100% sure if that's true actually I need to trail through the archives <laughs> and, you know, go, to,
1: go to archive.org and see if you can bring up old old agendas
0: because I, I have the feeling you missed one but I can't prove it yet
1: <laughs> <sighs> that sounds like that sounds like fun
0: Yeah, that was my web to you.
1: That sounds like you had a a really good time.
0: Yes, totally.
1: That's great. So um, moving on down our list, I actually just added something really quickly that I thought was probably worth talking about. Um, I don't know if it's impacted you at all, but have you noticed that the Amazon uh, EC2 instances, Amazon's having all sorts of issues yesterday and today with a a chunk of its uh, servers down at the moment. Um, In fact, it's been down for a couple of days
0: now yeah it's really interesting i mean personally it didn't affect me because i'm i don't have anything hosted on amazon um, but it's quite interesting to see how they seem to struggle to get it back together you know and bring, bring it back online in a in a fast way actually
1: well it's okay so for people who aren't aware of the, the situation it's actually kind of interesting in that um, it's not all of Amazon's cloud services have come down. It's specifically a couple of services in North Virginia. So if you've ever used um, any of the Amazon EC2 stuff or, or any of their other services, they have data centers that, that hook everything up. So they've got one in, in the US, they've got one in North California, they've got one in North Virginia. Um, there's one in what well, looks like Ireland in Europe.
0: Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. And there's, then Asia Pacific. They've there's, got there's one Singapore in, also, isn't
1: it? Yeah, Singapore. And there's also one in Tokyo. Okay. Um for, for some of the work I've done, I've got some instances in Singapore, so that, that was no big deal. Um, but there's a lot of services that seem to basically be existing simply in, in North Virginia, which is the one that's having the issues. Okay. Um, the other ones are actually fine. Uh, uh, yeah, so th- there was a Git repository that I had uh, that was, I didn't even know was running on Amazon. And apparently they were running out of... Um, They're running out of uh, North Virginia And they're a cheap Git repository They had tracks set up and stuff And and they went down and we couldn't do any work (laughs) It was a real problem So we migrated everything to GitHub Which was actually really, really easy See, Um, and that that is
0: Just to interrupt you quickly This is one of the big benefits of distributed version control That totally proves it, right? Because you had your whole repository on your computer Just push it somewhere else and you're fine and oh, fine.
1: I just chain made some. Yeah, exactly. Is, that was, you know this what was is such a cool?
0: showcase scenario. All right,
1: so th- I, yeah, let's let's diverge for a sec because I think I think you're right. Let's talk about this for a sec because what was actually really cool. So, because it's distributed version control and because it went down um, in one particular place and we couldn't get at it, and we'd actually been having some issues with that particular place anyway for a little while, so we were thinking about moving over to GitHub, which by the way is awesome, and I really should have spent some more time looking at GitHub previously because it actually is very cool both for private and open source projects. I was actually really impressed. But, yeah, so um, we thought, all right, we'll leave it. We'll give it a couple of hours and see if it comes back up. If it comes back up, that makes life a little bit easier. But in the meantime, one of my teammates was like, uh, can I have access to the newest stuff because I haven't got it yet? Yeah. Um, completely different countries. Um, I was like, uh, I think we ended up, it was just, I don't think we even considered me opening up ports and allowing him access that way. I just zipped up my Git repository, sent it to him, sent the whole thing to him. It was like 50 megabytes, which took a little while to go over, but no big deal it all up sent it over to him he unzipped it in his spot and then he just pulled locally from my git repository that he had sitting next to him yep which is just that's just that's just freaking cool um, and then yeah to, to push up to the to, to github all I did was um, I renamed origin which is what's normally sitting up in the sky like where you say like if you're using SVN that would normally refer to like where your your SVN repo is it's just yep. an alias essentially it's a convention so changed origin to what the old one was. Added a new remote, which is, I mean, you added the new origin of, of GitHub, pushed up to that instead, pushed up both my developer master branches, and boom. Yeah, you're done. That's it. We're up and running. And then everyone else had to do the same thing. I sent an email saying, hey, this is how you do it, in case you don't know. And it was like, you know, three or four commands, and bam, you're done. And then everything just continues on from there. I had to do a couple of changes for, I think I recloned everything that I was running on Jenkins, and it took me two seconds. And See,
0: that that's awesome. It's like, if, if that was a hosted subversion repository that went down, you would have been uh, not really totally screwed, but you know it would have been so much harder for you to put stuff together well, and get it running. To you
1: would have had to wait until you know either either you would have had to wait till it came back up, or you would have had to have started a whole new repository all over yeah. again. I mean that's that's it. You know if you can't get your uh, some sort of backup off that machine, you're
0: stuffed. Yeah,
1: exactly. absolutely stuffed. Um, because everything's, everyone's got everything locally, it's, you know, it's not even a big deal. Like There was a bunch of branches up there for like feature branches that people had stuck up for backup and stuff like that that we don't have access to, but everyone's got them locally. So you can always just re-push them up into the sky. I mean, yep. it's no big deal. Um, so that's, yeah, it's pretty cool that way. But um, yeah, with Amazon being down, I think there were some big services like Quora and a few other ones that I can't actually remember the names of.
0: Reddit, I think.
1: Yeah, Reddit went down. A few others like that, and you know what that actually tells me? I think it should tell me that if you're using Amazon services, make sure you're in several databases, the several data sources, a dubbed data, data center. Sen- See,
0: Thank but, you. But looking at cloud hosting in general, that would be something I would consider personally anyway. If I had something I wanted to host in the cloud, you know, I yeah. would definitely stick it in different geographical locations. I mean, otherwise, That's- it's like it seems like, well, why do you go to the cloud? You could just, you know, buy a physical server anywhere in a data center. Yeah. It's the same issue.
1: Well, you get you do get some benefits. You know, yeah, you
0: get the instant, you know, better stuff scaling stuff potentially. Yeah. yeah, that's fine. Yeah.
1: Um, but, you know, have one in North Virginia that's your main one. Have a backup in California. Have a really, really just-in-case backup in Europe. I mean... Yeah you know, just in absolute case, you know, you're still staying with the same infrastructure. Uh, you're still staying on Amazon. If the entire Amazon infrastructure goes down, I think there's probably bigger issues there entirely. But that, you know, maybe that could happen, which would kind of suck. But yeah, it really it really made a made my eyes open because for ages now, for some of the stuff I've been doing, we've been seriously considering going to Amazon. We've had some issues trying to do that. And in the end, it's umming and army about it but one of the things we didn't I never even honestly considered was the fact okay yeah let's look at having stuff in one or two or three different data centers just in case
0: yeah.
1: and actually I would think Amazon in a lot of ways makes that easy I mean the MySQL services you can do replication quite easily you know you've got instances um I don't know how easy it is to transfer instances across across data centers
0: but yeah, I don't have no idea to be honest. It's
1: got to be some mechanism. I, I think
0: there's also there's a price difference between the different data centers. So, if you, I think Europe, yeah. for example, is more expensive than the North American ones. I don't yeah. know what the pricing is with Asia.
1: Yeah, I wonder, but I think you would be able to set things up so that, you know, if you need to hit a button and say power on you know, you could do that quite easily. Yeah. You know, you just you just have to have an AMI set up and then, you know, you just...
0: And then oh, repoint I, your yeah. domain DNS settings yeah. or something like that, with yeah. worst case, yeah.
1: Yeah, so maybe you're down for 10 minutes or so until you turn that on and, and you know, if American customers have a little bit slower latency because they have to go through Europe or maybe Asia-Pacific, but hey, your site's up. Yeah, exactly. Better than not. Um, and then, you know, once everything comes back up, comes comes back up. You can go back to your old one in North Virginia or wherever's down, and make sure everything's okay. Make sure your MySQL databases replicate back across, and
0: yep.
1: continue on your merry way. So, meh.
0: yeah, interesting. I think you know that will be a lessons learned experience for quite a few people. I think so. Yeah. I think so.
1: Because um, yeah, I mean, like we've we've moved off that that uh, that hosting provider for, for Git. I mean, it wasn't huge money we're talking about for them, I'm sure. But I wouldn't be surprised if there was a few more people that did that too. Yeah. Just because it's like, well, you know, well, I had this I had this great conversation where, where basically my client was like, so we're going to move to GitHub, and he's like, yeah, and he says, so why is GitHub the one that's the one to go to, and I'm like, well, GitHub's still up.
0: It's so that is a enough. that is a fair <laughs> fair comment, but do you know if GitHub is you know maybe hosted across different data centers? That's you, a good point. You wouldn't I know mean, that, GitHub's right? On it might. My- yeah, it might be that they just, you know, have their stuff in the Californian data center of Amazon. And yeah. basically, you know, it's lucky that, you know, it didn't hit GitHub this time.
1: Yeah, it's it's on space. yeah. So I think, but the interesting thing, I think it's that whole, maybe a bit of get what you pay for as well. You know, GitHub's big, GitHub's got a lot of people on it. You know, they kind of have a bigger infrastructure than some little guys you pay $10 a yes. month to. Yeah, if you're uh, If you're running a team and, you know, you don't, Having, having that out for two hours is a bit of an issue and that costs you money, then those sort of stuff. But I actually really like the tools on GitHub. I was, I've not really looked at it properly for, for a long time and um, mainly because a lot of my open source stuff is either on RIA Forge or now on, on Source Forge, which is nice as well. But um, yeah, it's, um, GitHub's very cool. But this is the nice thing about Git, we're talking about, just centralized version control having a discussion on the Cold Spring developer list about because the forking and branching stuff is so nice for uh, collaboration on open source projects. Okay. What we're probably going to do is mirror, have have the SourceForge uh, Git repository be the main one, but mirror it on GitHub. So they can either do, people people who want to contribute can do manual, you know, uh, their own manual forking and then ask to, to to do pull requests and stuff like that, which is pretty easy to do. Mm-hmm. But if they want to, they can use the GitHub system, which is even easier because they just click a button and says fork and then they click a button and say pull request um, and so we can keep those two running in synchronicity and I can just choose you know if if someone's made a pull request i just you know pull it into the github repo and then pull from there or if they do it on the the SourceForge one you can do it from there i can control both of them quite easily so it's actually very cool it gives lots of options for for open source contribution which is a good thing so it's actually yeah you know gits
0: awesome that's one of the things you really want to make it as easy as possible for people to contribute in some way whatever that way is really
1: yeah 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 so yeah it's good fun and um going to look at some interesting ways to set up how we can set up mirroring that may allow me not to have to push and pull all the time from two repositories but should be easy enough
0: cool that's good yeah so I heard you've ordered a um, new tablet
1: <laughs> yeah, apparently I tweeted about it like 17 times. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. I did tell me. <laughs> You're
0: quite excited about it, actually. Aren't you?
1: <laughs> I've been dying for a tablet for ages, but we all know my position on Apple and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and I like the Android ecosystem, so, you know, all gooey gooey Google fanboy ridiculousness. But um, yeah, so I think it was a little while ago uh, Vodafone, who, which is a whole other kettle of fish, announced. Um, they were, they were releasing the Samsung Tab 10.1, and I was like, oh, that's cool. So I got on that really quickly, <laughs> signed up, and got on the pre-sale and hooked that up. and Yeah, so it's coming March 2nd, I mean, so it's going to show up at the latest… I uh, mean March. May 2nd, actually.
0: <sighs> so, so will it be um, Android 3? No, it will be still Android 2.3. Probably.
1: No, it's Android 3. It's Honeycomb.
0: Oh, yep. okay. Nice.
1: Okay, it's Honeycomb. it's got the tegra 2 chip it's basically the same as all the other tablets out there the only thing it's the it's the thicker one it's not the the super thin one that uh came out just afterwards which actually doesn't bother me too much because it's got the 8 megapixel camera on it whereas the thinner mm-hmm. one has the um the, it's like 2 or 3 not that i expect to be taking that many photos but you know i'll take what i can get at this point um but i think it's rumored that telstra's bringing out the zoom here i think a little bit later
0: on i think from what i understand i think that's going to be coming out maybe towards the end of this month or next month okay so what do you think is going to happen with further operating system upgrades and you know changes to to android 3 when you buy a samsung tablet or any you know tablet through a network provider because what i yeah. what i really fear and that, i mean that's partly driven by experience and seeing what happened takes a while to come down it takes a while to come down really and you know network yeah. operators are really good in crippling devices i mean in, <laughs> well, in, in the us it's really bad yep. in australia it's not as bad as it could be luckily yes but you know like if i had the same problem with Vodafone actually with my nexus 1 you know they just didn't release um android 2.2 at that stage for yep. about 3 months after google pushed it out and even even though it was exactly the same phone really so basically yep. i um unlocked the phone exactly. a week after I bought it and you know voided the warranty pretty much just to get the latest operating system. And that yep. is really annoying that you have to do that.
1: That is annoying. I agree with that. Um, from what I understand, this the, the 10.1v, which is what they've called it, is got nothing above the stock Android Honeycomb experience, which may not be a good thing or a bad thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's an interesting question because it depends on who's pushing what out yep. and how it comes out. Um, and the order they want to do it in. And obviously for somebody like Vodafone or somebody, any sort of telco really, pushing out updates is probably more of a pain than anything else because it's not like it gets them more customers. Though one could argue that if they were regularly doing it like really quickly, that could potentially get them more customers simply because people go, oh, they're doing the right thing. Cool. I'm going to go use them because they do they do the right thing by their, their existing customers. So I suppose maybe there's a...
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, technically, from my point of view, the network providers or, yep. or the network providers really shouldn't – or even the, the hardware manufacturers shouldn't really have to do anything with the updates. You know, that, I mean, and yeah. I know that brings up that whole discussion that we, have, that we had a few times. That's what I like with, with the um, iOS ecosystem. It's basically Apple deciding what's going to be pushed out. And it doesn't matter you know, who doesn't I bought, matter. My, bought my phone through. They, they have no way to block an update. Yeah, um, to my phone or to my tablet and that's what I actually like and I, I can make the decision myself do I want that upgrade you know is it does it contain useful features or is it going to destroy my battery life then I might not want to do it until they release a, another one fix after that or something like that but it's in my yeah, control yeah. really right I can that make is the true. choice
1: uh, though and it gets more complicated when you look at like for example I run a, an HTC Desire one of the original ones and of course it's got that whole Sense UI thing at yeah. the top yeah totally Um but much like you, um, for a lot of reasons, mainly memory management more than anything else because I wanted the A2SD stuff, um, ended up unlocking it and sticking a, sticking a ROM over the top, which is well, breathed new life into my phone. I think if I hadn't done that, I probably would have thrown it out a while ago and bought a new one just because of having a larger internal memory. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so I can I can understand where you're coming from there. I, yeah, that's that's completely reasonable. Um, but I, I think... Yeah, go on.
0: Uh, I had a look at the um Google Nexus S the other day because I oh, yeah. I was after the WebDU I was up in Brisbane to um do some work with my client and um went to one of the water phone stores and they had the Nexus S like a you know, plastic prototype thingy there because it's announced oh, yeah. now and they're going to pre sell it. And that looked like a quite nice phone because I have some sort of made the commitment to myself that if I'm going to get another Android phone um, which I might not rule out because it is some sort of a nice platform, I would yep. definitely try to get a Google-branded phone again because just from experience, yep. you know, those phones get upgrades to the operating system right away. See, I
1: really like the stuff that HTC has done with Android. I like their Sense UI stuff. I like their whole um, HTC Sense platform where you can track your phone if you lose it or somebody steals it. There's there's a lot of stuff in there that I actually I've, I really like. Okay. So, um, so you but gonna... I can understand your perspective too. I totally understand yep. your perspective as well. Cool. I'm wondering. Yeah, I'm wondering which phone to get next. I was looking sort of at the HTC Incredible, but I wonder if that, that four inch sort of screen is just that big too big.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you might. Um, you know Richard Turner Jones from Brisbane? Yep. He's got a Dell Android. I call it device because I'm not sure if it's a phone or a tablet. It's actually... It's like a, in
1: between, yeah. Is it a streak?
0: Yeah, it could be. It's like, it's, it's actually a little bit too large to be a phone when I look at it, but it's not a yeah. tablet quite yet, really. I, I think it's a five inch screen or something like that. And that is, you know, if I, I saw him using it as a phone. And he yep. actually, it just it just looks weird because it's so huge, you know. <laughs> sure. like, oh, really? That's a phone. As a as a small mini tablet, it's okay, but for a phone, it would be too large for my point of view. Actually, speaking of Richard, of Richard, and that's such a fun story. And I, you know, I probably get bashed for telling that story on the podcast. But the funny thing is, tell you know, it we,
1: anyway because it's not my head.
0: Exactly. We had um, you know the Adobe Community Summit on Saturday, basically. Yep. And we were talking I was basically advertising our podcast a little bit because a bunch of people Good didn't stuff. know that we were doing it, right? So and Richard said, you know, I'm I'm listening to the podcast all the time, I'm your fan, and I'm arguing with you. I, said, <laughs> I, what? Do,
1: that. I do that when I listen to podcasts, but anyway, yeah, go on. It's
0: so fun, you know, he said, Oh, I'm arguing with Mark and Hugh while I listen to it. I said, okay, that is awkward. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, but, you know, if, if you say you're doing that as well, then maybe it's, it's not that weird, actually. Maybe that's the normal thing, and I'm weird because I'm not doing it. I'm just listening to podcasts normally.
1: Actually, it depends on the podcast and who it is. There are definitely podcasts that I stopped listening to because I spent the entire time just going, No, what are you talking about? That's totally wrong. <laughs> but, you know, screaming like I'm driving in my car and screaming at my radio, just going, What the hell is it that you're doing? Um and so, yeah, just, you know, the whole distressing nature of trying to listen to something while I'm driving somewhere is, you know, but um, I can see that happening. I can definitely see that
0: happening. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So that's a nice, you know, little sidetrack to one of our fans arguing with us. <laughs> 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 cool. Yeah. So anything else on mobile devices while we're there? I mean, I had a look at the iPad too. Obviously, I had to because, you know, yep. being in that camp a little bit, um, I... My it, wife
1: wants one of those so bad. Really?
0: Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I mean, we both. My wife and I have iPad One, and yep. I'm really happy with that. The only downside of my iPad One is it's a bit hard to hold with one hand when I'm reading. I believe it's a bit heavy. Right? And um, so I never really played with an iPad Two so far, um, and I thought, uh, probably I don't need one because it's like another world Thousand bucks or something for no. it for yeah, a yeah. marginal value in upgrade. To be fair, actually
1: that's interesting. Okay, so hold on. So if you if you bought an iPad two, it'd cost you a thousand dollars.
0: Oh, it's just like a rough guess. I haven't looked at the prices actually. Okay,
1: actually, I was I was curious to see the price comparison between the iPad two and what I'm paying for the Samsung Tab.
0: I don't know. It, it probably in. It probably depends on which model of the iPad 2 you get. I mean, the different memory sizes, different um, features like wi fi and N3G, or just Wi-Fi, or nothing. Or You know, it's like really hard to...
1: So I'm having a look now.
0: To say... I m- my guess would just have been like... It's probably around $1,000. Australian, yeah, just... New Zealandish. Maybe a bit more in New Zealand dollars. No, but, okay, but anyway, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. I... I thought the the additional value I get is probably not worth that money. And then at WebDU, I played with Jeff Bauer's iPad 2, and I thought, actually, yep. it's not that bad. I mean, the, it still doesn't provide me personally enough value that I go from the iPad 1 to the iPad 2, I think. Yep. But I, I had it in my hand, and I was using it, and it even though it's just like 90 grams lighter, it feels it made a difference. significantly lighter. And part of it is that... It comes with that very light white cover that is attached to the oh the magnetic one the yeah smart the cover. magnetic one and I obviously have you know one a proper cover which just adds to the weight right and if you compare the iPad two with the magnetic cover and my iPad in a full blown cover thing then yep. actually it makes a significant difference and you can re- really feel it. And then I thought, oh, you know, that would be nice if I had a lighter one. But again, you know, the amount of money involved with the upgrade, yeah, probably I wait for the iPad three. To be honest, fair enough. So fair did, enough. You, well, did, once, did you find the prices?
1: Like, no, nah, I'm trying to find it. I can get data prices, but just actually prices on on buying it. Because yeah, the, the the Galaxy Tabs costing me what oh uh, seven hundred and twenty seven for the year, um, which includes my data. Okay. Includes 1.5 gigabytes of data per month, which is plenty. Um, which I didn't think was too bad, actually. All, all up considered, I could actually buy it outright for seven hundred and twenty-nine, and I save two dollars if I pay it off monthly. Go figure. <laughs> um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, but um, yeah, it's. Um,
0: See, the, I mean, the-
1: I actually thought the iPad would be l- cheaper.
0: Yeah, it's it's tricky to compare the prices between Australia and New Zealand because yeah. in in Australia the, the network operators actually have a proper competition and they um yeah, you know enough. they heavily subsidize phones or devices in general when you sign a contract for a year or for yeah. two. And in in New Zealand the subsidy you get for signing a contract is quite ridiculous, really. I mean it's there is still a subsidy, but it's like I know you get your device two hundred dollars cheaper for a two year contract, or yep. you know three hundred dollars cheaper, and that's you know compared to Australia or even worse compared to Europe, ridiculous. In Europe, you know you sign for an iPhone four plan, uh, a medium size one for two years, you get the iPhone for free, you know, and yeah, yeah, yeah. all the other stuff thrown at you, and here you still pay like six hundred dollars for your iPhone four, for example. Yeah, I
1: think so. so it's here it's, they'll cover your iPhone.
0: Yeah, it's really sure. you know it's actually. I was thinking a few times I should stop buying my phones here and just, you know, sign up for an Australian contract because I'm over there regularly anyway. And yep. I basically I have got prepaid cards for my um, iPhone and for my Android phone. Yep. And I just top them up when I go over to Aussie. But yep. the amount of top up I put on is like, what, about $29, $39, like one of those caps for a month. So yep. I could well be on a plan. Probably- you know? <laughs> and it doesn't make <laughs> kind of like much of a difference really. <laughs>
1: That's fair enough. That works.
0: Yeah. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll have a look into that in the future because you know it's like, why shouldn't I take the subsidy yeah. and run with it? Really?
1: Well, one of my actually one of my cousins is asking me if I can uh, if he can send me one because when I'm over in the states, one of the Asus Transformer tablets. Ah, oh, okay. Which is um, if anyone has seen those, it's basically a tablet that hooks into a keyboard. Yep. Um, and with the dollar being so good, I think it's like five hundred bucks or something. It's not even that. And with the dollar being so good, it'd be it'd be practically, you know, less than four hundred dollars outright, which is fantastic price for a tablet.
0: That's another thing. I mean, you know, going to the US and buying stuff there is so cheap at the moment. It's so yeah. worth doing it's it.
1: Cool. So yeah, if I if I come back from there with a whole bunch of stuff, it's entirely possible. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm going but, there. I'm going there but, in July, so I'm probably making a few stops at electronics stores as well.
1: <laughs> you ever been to Fry's Electronics in the US?
0: No, I never heard that
1: think think like an uh, office work sized warehouse with computer stuff
0: oh my god okay hmm <laughs> interesting
1: cool yeah. yeah so that's all that's all good fun
0: sweet so what else was happening um, i've got a ssd drive on my laptop now masotaf <laughs> <laughs> why <laughs> <laughs>
1: i take it it's working well for you
0: it's awesome it's just great. Yeah. I mean, well, it I've got it for about twenty four hours built in now, um, yeah. and it works just fine. the The migration of my data and my hard drive was totally flawless. I, you know, I bought it, threw it into an external USB three case, yep. cloned my internal hard drive to it, flipped yep. the drives, and you know, worked without any now, issue.
1: Now, if you don't mind me asking, what did you pay for? I mean, two hundred and forty gigabyte. That's pretty big. I They're paid.
0: Not I paid four hundred sixty Australian it's not bad it's not bad at all and it's a sata uh 2 drive with 3 gigabyte per second um yeah. connection or uh, connectivity and i there are faster ones to be fair i i, yeah. I basically went with the OCZ z 2 um, okay there is a version 3 of that the Vertex 3 which has um 6 gig per second yep but my macbook pro can't support that anyway so you know yep. it's like and it would have been like another 3 or 400 Australian dollars on top of that for the same size. So I thought, well, you know, just for the theoretical possibility to, I don't know, in a year or two years to put it into a new laptop which supports it, well, I don't probably don't bother at this stage. And you know, it's fast. Like photo, literally on, on macOS we have a tool which is called Preview, right? Which you can just mm-hmm. use to double click on a on a document and it opens it to preview it and to have a yep. look at it like an image or so. And Photoshop CS5 opens in about a second now on my laptop.
1: That's ridiculous.
0: So, you know, it's like Photoshop is my new preview. Why should I bother you know, I like,
1: really using it? It's
0: amazing. It's so yeah. f- incredibly fast. Obviously, you know? there, there are a few downsides, right? I mean, you there are known cases where the drive became... Or where those type of drives became super, super slow. Oh, really? Um, yeah, after, you know, a certain period of use. And it comes down to basically how the the flash memory units are managed on the drive and okay. um there is a thing called trim support which the operating system might or might not offer which helps to manage those write instances to your drive and i mean writing to the drive is really what what makes it you know lose quality mm. and speed the okay. read, reading is basically Cheap. Reading doesn't cost you anything, really. But you want to have a good look into how you write to your drive and what you're doing with it. Um, But to be fair, I mean, all documentation and statistics you you can see, people say, well, you know, as long as you don't run a database server of your SSD drive for 24-7 with writing all the time, even if you're a power user producing a lot of changes to files and writing to files... You probably get like, you know, five to ten years lifetime of your SSD if you want to. Easy, yep. right? And realistically, I mean, in two years, we can probably get triple the size for the same price. So I'm going to throw it out anyway. So it's like, yep. well, you know, those theoretical issues with the SSD technology probably really for most of the people are not going to be relevant. That's fair enough.
1: Yeah, no, that was, I was sort of thinking when I bought my, my big Alienware, that um, then the, the first upgrade I was going to make was RAM, which I went up to 8 gig, and then the next upgrade would probably be to SSD drives, but I need to get two of them because I've got RAID in my laptop.
0: Yep. <laughs> no, it's super fine. It's super fast. Uh, the machine boots in like five seconds an hour. <laughs> it's just amazing. I'm totally loving it. That sounds pretty cool. Yep. So should we just talk about something quickly which is a bit relevant to the work we're doing usually (laughs) sure (laughs) why not oh actually i got a comment from um sandy mamoli um who's a listener to our podcast and she basically said she would like to um have the podcast duration align with her running times
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah we'll totally do that
0: (laughs) yeah easy (laughs) so i think she was asking for about one hour 20 for the next one, which would be this. And we're now at 55 minutes, so probably we're not going to get to one hour 20, but, you know, we're probably going to be over time again.
1: <laughs> or, should we, or should we deliberately cut it short, just to be mean?
0: No, we shouldn't, because actually we're getting Sandy to um, come to our podcast next week, and we don't want to upset her in advance, I think. Fair enough. So how about if we talk about one announcement that has happened recently, um, when Adobe basically put out word that they're going to do a Creative Suite 5.5 release. Because one oh, yeah. of the things they released is Flash Builder 4.5 for PHP. That's interesting, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I hadn't actually seen that until you brought that up. Um, it's a bit of an interesting one. It looks like a, a combination of of uh, Flash Builder with what, Zen Studio.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, Send is sort of the commercial arm of the whole PHP movement, really, pretty much. Yep. And um, I know that Adobe was having a relationship with Zend for quite a while. Um, I can't really... It looks like...
1: Okay, I'm I'm actually just reading it now, but from what I understand, essentially the AMF support was added to the Zend framework.
0: Yeah, something like that. You know, they did some integration work. And to be fair, from Adobe's point of view, being a, a tools provider is certainly a good thing, right? Because at the end of the day, if they manage to make building REARS with Flex, easier yep. for PHP developers? Cool. Awesome. Fine. You know, good for the ecosystem from my point of view. What I found interesting, though, is that then they came up with the Flash Builder 4.5 for PHP release, which has apparently a whole bunch of things built in, like, you know, project types for PHP projects. So yeah. you have like a Flex mobile with PHP project type in Flex Builder or in Eclipse, which... um. It's quite cool. So the integration apparently goes, you know, goes beyond just put it pushing out a Flash builder with yeah. some PF, PHP, you know, code highlighting, um, built in or something like that. So it seems to be a quite interesting tool.
1: It is going to be an interesting tool. It's a yeah. I'm waiting for the outcry of, but what about Cold Fusion?
0: I'm pretty sure oh. that will happen at some stage. That'll and, happen uh, at some point. You know, it's like you, and you can see why, right? Because um, <laughs> The PHP community seems to be, or is definitely larger than the ColdFusion community. And there is some sort of a rivalry between those two worlds, really. And a lot of cold, pure ColdFusion people might not see why Adobe has to deliver those tools for other platforms as well. You know, It would be just not beneficial for Adobe to say, well, we're the doing Internet. that stuff only for ColdFusion. you know. And if you do anything else but our backend platform... We don't care, you know. It's the same with Dreamweaver. Dreamweaver supports stuff like That's PHP true. backends, ASP.NET backends, whatever. You know, all sorts of backend technologies for your web projects.
1: That's true. it would actually be. Um, I'm actually more interested to know exactly what the licensing deal between the two companies really kind of sits and how they how they work that out because this could have been you know just Zen Studio with you know Flash support and they could have had some extra extra project types in that or or how they ended up coming to the resolution that they came up to and how this was going to get put together and shipped out it's um and then how the revenue gets split as well would be also very interesting to know just the just the legalistic aspects of it would be kind of cool
0: yeah it might be that it's just like a licensing deal that you know adobe licenses the Zen Zen tooling studio. or the Studio, yeah. and you know they sell it as a bundle solution i don't know it would I'm be it would be, a, it would be a bit of a yeah. similar deal as you know, as to what Adobe is doing with um, CF Builder and Aptana, maybe. Like, maybe.
1: maybe. Yeah. I'm wondering if, if they come out with, you know, what would be cool. I'm wondering, you know, if the next step is, you know, f- uh, Flash Builder for, say, Spring, like for Java and Spring or, you know, anything along those sort of lines as well. Um,
0: or maybe we see an Adobe Builder at some stage, you know, where... what does everything. Yeah, where Flash Builder gets merged with Cold Fusion Builder. And then, you know, additional integration support is put in for Spring or for, you know, whatever .NET backends even maybe, you know, or PHP mm. or Rails, whatever people want to do. It's
1: just sort of that this is the first step in the uh, in the integration of all all possible backend codes.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, from yeah. again, from a tooling perspective, it would be a clever move from Adobe, it makes wouldn't sense. it?
1: I almost wonder if you're gonna. I just. I worry about it getting a bit bloated if they do that. Um,
0: See, if they, so did, don't if, know they how to, yeah. if they did that, I think they would have to, you know, they make still, it make I it some sort it of modular. Yeah, where you say it you to. you install it and then you you know choose the stuff you want to do while yeah. you install it, or you know you can dynamically reinstall modules for certain backends or stuff like Actually, that. you
1: know it would be, know be really cool? It would be like, okay, so you, ins- you install Flash Builder and then in the same Eclipse you install Core Fusion Builder and it goes, oh, yeah. I see that you've got both of these installed. I'll give you some extra capabilities. Mm-hmm. Yep. That would be cool. But I also know that some people I think may have possibly, like there may be, may have, there has to be a lot of testing for compatibility between the two products and making sure that they live happily together.
0: Yeah. It becomes quite tricky on the Eclipse platform because yep, you need to support so many different Eclipse versions if you allow people to install stuff as a plugin instead yes. of just as a standalone software, basically. And that yep. makes it hard for, from Odd. a QA and testing point of view, yeah. Like, really.
1: Yeah, but uh, in, yeah, it should be interesting to see what they, what they do with that, with the, with the platforming stuff. I think that's, uh, for the Flex environment, I think that's a wonderful thing. I think, obviously, you know.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: Well, um, but yeah, I, I'm respecting the outcry of, what happened to CoreFusion? But I guess Core Fusions, you know what, CoreFusion's had this tooling. As soon as Builder came out, this stuff, you know, and Flex Builder, that's, that tooling's been there for ages. Yeah. Um, it's and just and a, it's, it's just in exists. a separate
0: product. And keep in yeah. mind that when you, when you buy Flesh Builder, you get Cold Fusion Builder with it.
1: Exactly. That's so really you know
0: good... you've got both basically for yeah. this for the price of Flash Builder, which actually yep. raises an interesting point, right? Do people who buy Flash Builder 4.5 for PHP also get Cold Fusion Builder with Still, it?
1: That's what I was wondering. Because that, myself. that was,
0: would be some sort of a really you know for some hardcore PHP folks maybe a total insult. It's like having a CD Cold Fusion Builder. What the hell? <laughs> Throw
1: it up. Wow, but, yeah, but that's really funny. I'd like to hope that they can. I hope that they do get a license, and I think that you know maybe they'll see the light.
0: Yeah, they see the light of the good stuff, basically. <laughs> yeah.
1: The good stuff. No, that's pretty cool.
0: Interesting. So the other thing um, I found actually today is a link to eweek.com. What's that? And we should probably put that link into um, into the blog post for this recording as well. It's basically an article called... Um, application development, Adobe Labs, the 10 hottest projects in the works. and Actually, I found that on Ben Forda's blog today when I was um, just looking for, for another blog post he wrote a few days ago, and I thought, oh, I totally missed that one, basically. And eWeek, you know, which is usually, I don't know, I don't want to say it's like a good or a bad site. It's some sort of a site that publishes all sort of stuff, right? And they, you know, I think a few years ago, they had an article like, Cold Fusion is one of the top 10 technologies to die or something like that. But, yep. you know, if you actually have a look at those 10 hottest projects in Adobe Labs, there are quite a few interesting things in there, right? There is Adobe Air Launchpad, which is a little app that helps you to build air wrappers for your flex and air development. Um, and number three, is, or the top three, basically, is actually Cold Fusion Builder 2. How awesome is that? You know, out of... The ten hottest projects in Adobe Labs called Fusion Builder Two is number three. According yeah, to I, thought
1: I saw I was showing that too. So we wrote, like Launchpad. There's Packager for iPhone. Uh, a lot of Flash Builder stuff. Uh, what, what was the one I thought was actually cool? Uh, <laughs> that's right, Wallaby. Oh yeah. Which yeah. I have to appreciate being Australian is the code name for the uh, Flash to CS uh, HTML5 conversion. I thought that was that was pretty pretty funny. Uh, a few other. I think involved.
0: we I think we still you know should have any t- a certain tool codenamed Possum or something you know like with one of those pest animals rather. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the interesting thing is you know when you look at those top ten projects, the <laughs> only one which is not related to the Flash platform is called Fusion Builder Three. Yeah, uh, called Fusion Builder Two. Sorry. Two. Yeah. You know that's really really awesome. You know. I That's good
1: it. that it's getting some uh getting some notoriety. It's yeah. good stuff.
0: Yeah, totally. Cool. So that was my contribution to, you know, a random link I found today, actually. So
1: wonderful. All good stuff. And then, then we got some fusion content in there, which I think is a good thing.
0: Yes, definitely you. I think you've got one job ad you want to mention before we um, wrap up. Before we wrap
1: up. There's a job going here in Melbourne, Australia. um, Some guys that used to be uh, clients of mine. Um, I think most people know AVG antivirus.
0: Yeah, I've Um, definitely heard of them
1: yep um their australian uh, Australian branch is currently seeking uh where lay like, several Anus programmers with a minimum of three years experience at, including at least two years developing using adobe cold fusion. Um but uh yeah it's a it's a good team i've I've met most of those guys before they're nice guys so uh if you're looking for a cold fusion job um, what's the best way to find it if you it's on Seek seek.com.au. I'll probably put a we can put a link in our, our notes. If you have a search for Call Fusion analyst programmer in Melbourne, I think you should be able to find it pretty quickly. Um, so if yeah, if you're looking for work in Melbourne as a ColdFusion Fusion developer, that's a good job for you.
0: Cool. Um, any events we want to mention? I've got one actually. Um, Don't know that, any. actually. that is the Adobe Creative Suite CS5. 55 oh, five. That's right. Yep. Um, it's a roadshow that basically that's going through Australia, New Zealand. And I mean, it definitely will happen in other parts of the world as well, but I don't have the dates. Basically it starts end of May or late mid, mid to end of May. They're doing Wellington and Auckland first, then Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane. And at some stage in early to mid June, they're moving over to, I think Adelaide and, um, uh, Perth as well over there, basically. Cool. Uh, as far as I can see they are mostly half day events. Um and they are free. So, you know, definitely if you're interested in in Creative Suites five point five, I would really recommend going there, having a look at what they've changed and you know, the, the new possibilities and the new tooling. Should be really Sounds interesting. Good. And Sounds on good. the same and the day when it's going to be in Wellington on the twenty fourth of May, uh we're going to have a sort of launch party of from all the user groups. Um in one oh, cool. At the night, at the same night, and Mike McHugh from Adobe Australia is going to come over and present a few things. He is not going to show at the road shows, like exclusive content and cool Ooh. stuff on how to do awesome stuff with Photoshop and whatever you know, whatever he's doing. Which I don't. How to Photoshop
1: too. your ex girlfriend out of photos and stuff.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Awesome I mean, stuff. yeah, maybe. <laughs> so that's the only event I'm aware we off at this stage. Um, I don't know yep. if you've got anything else.
1: No, that's, that's it. Actually, I forgot about that too, but yep, that's definitely on.
0: Cool. Alrighty. So that's pretty much it for today then, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think
0: that's probably us done. Cool. So that was the special Easter edition or Easter slash Passover edition. Of, slash anything
1: uh, else that's possibly on right now to be exactly. completely neutral.
0: <laughs> of two deaths from down under, uh, number five. And, we are actually going to record in a few days again. Number six um, will be a feature on um, agile and test-driven development, and we are going to have a whole lot of guests.
1: Now, just to uh, just to reiterate, because we probably do this more often, if people want to know more information about you or contact you, Kai, what's the what's the best way to reach you?
0: The best way to reach me is actually probably Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is Agent K, um, and. If you send me a public message or if you are a friend of mine already and DM me, that's something I get pretty much instantly. Or send me an email to um, kai at ventigo-creative.co.nz. And ventigo is actually um, spelled V-E-N-T-E-G-O.
1: Wonderful. If anyone wants to come and find me um, on Twitter, it's probably good too for me. My handle on there is neurotic, N-E-U-R-O-T-I-C, uh, old IC handle. Um, if you're looking for me on Spiral Nights, my handle is exactly the same. Please feel free to add me as a friend. Uh, yeah, and if you want to drop me a line on email, it's mark.mandel at gmail.com, or you can do so through my blog at compoundtheory.com. Cool. I think that's us.
0: That's us. So have a good... Festivity. And, um,
1: <laughs> we'll speak to you all soon.
0: I'll speak to you in a few days, actually. Great. Alrighty. See you all. Bye.